You guys ready? I can get some real work done here in the background. <laughs> you got to close everything. No slack. All right. Everything's turned off. You have 100% of my attention. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the RevOps podcast, or, or rather, actually, I guess this this season's first episode of the the RevOps podcast. I am, of course, your host, Jordan Henderson. Good to, good to be back in your ear holes, coming at you. Um, and I'm joined today by I just got a, a, a just a stunning look from Howard Brown and, and Alistair about ear holes. I'm joined today by Howard Brown and Alistair Wilcox. Guys, I'm going to let you do a quick intro because, well, Howard, you've been on before. Alistair, you're brand new. So... But people, people probably skip that Howard episode because they like good content. But anyways, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Howard, you want to give yourself a quick introduction? Yeah, I'm Howard Brown, CEO of Revenue.io, and I'm here specifically to talk about ear holes. <laughs> I, and listen, I'm Alistair Wilcock. I am uh, over here, Revenue.io's Chief Strategy Officer. Just joined in after nearly half a day, uh, half a decade of uh, Gartner. Half a day, huh? Half a day, but it it, it it drifted into almost half a decade. And uh, keenly looking forward to learning more about ear holes. <laughs> strong start. We're off to a really strong start to season two. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us past this first, first part. But anyways, just to give sort of, before we dive into what will be episode one of season two, I want to give everybody kind of like a quick update on, on what's going on. And, and so we're going to try something a bit new uh, with season two, and I think it's it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we're going to go with a little bit shorter format this season. Um, so we're going to try that out for a little bit. And less we're going to mix you, up the- hopefully, less of you. Like, well, I mean, I hope less of me, but I mean, you guys don't really seem to add a lot of value so far, so we're not making any promises. Uh, but uh, the... Little, a little bit, uh, little bit shorter format, a little bit quick hitting, make it a little easier on the listeners. You don't got to do through 45 minutes to find three bullet points. Hopefully we can keep it to 15 or 20. And we're going to be mixing up the hosting a little bit. So Howard, Alistair, a handful of other people will probably be involved in this. And, and we're going to uh, play with the format and see what happens. And so I'm super excited. The next, we're sort of doing a three-part you know, intro to this process, which will be the three of us doing three sort of micro episodes, 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm excited to, to see it and get everybody's feedback. Um, and I'm excited to have you guys both on and chat to you both about RevOps because it's been a minute since we chatted. Obviously, it's been about a month or so since we chatted through this. Um, so that being said, I want to jump right in. Because Alistair already said, you know, he was at Gartner. If you guys don't know, everybody listens. I was a lawyer. I mentioned that every episode. Alistair mentions he's at Gartner a lot. So you're going to hear that a lot. Uh, but Alistair, you were at Gartner. And while you were at Gartner, you predicted that 75% of companies would adopt RevOps. Yeah, we did. How do you feel about that? What are you seeing in the market? How do you, do you stand by that prediction? Yeah, we do. The the actual prediction we made on that was that 75% of high growth organizations worldwide, all sectors, would deploy some aspect of uh, RevOps. And and it is. It's happening. Absolutely. So 100% stand by that. That's happening between now and 2025. So we're halfway through that prediction. And uh, it seems to be there. But But I will say, Jordan, it's easy to lump it in under the bucket of RevOps. It isn't exclusively always called that. 
Yeah. Right? You hear commercial ops, you hear other things happening out biz, there. Biz but, ops, DTM ops. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. But yeah, stand by at 100%. It's happening. You look in, uh, obviously, the tech sector, you see around 28% of companies have already started. Which is up and from I, what, like 14% two years before that? Yeah, like absolutely. 100%. Banking is in around uh, 10%. Professional services is in around 19%. Business management's in around 23%. Even healthcare companies, they're sitting at 6% coming from nothing, right? So it's it's happening all sectors. And I, I would just suggest that with the economic climate now headed where it's going, you are going to see even more push around this because the importance of that cost of revenue reduction number I get it's going to be front and center for every heads of sales worldwide right now. Right. I like it. So you're tying it back to you're 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 actually making the case, which Garten, when you made the prediction, it was a totally different economic environment than it is yeah. today. Right. We weren't four yeah. months into the stock market collapsing, basically. Right. And That's so, right. you know, it's, which is where we're sitting today. So what you're actually sort of pointing out is is, is that you stand by it. In, in part because it's fiscal responsibility for a company to adopt a model like this. Is, is that what I'm... Yeah, th- that's exactly right. It is a fiscal responsibility in two major ways, right? One, it is how you optimize the revenue production teams themselves, right? So it's the cost of reduction piece. Number two, it gives you the data. And, and Howard, something I know is near and dear to you, it gives you the behavioral insights and all the other insights you need, which is what's going to be paramount importance to scale out, right? Those are things that enable growth going forwards. And obviously coming over to Revenue IO, that was the big thing that I saw with Howard and team being built was this just actual focus on using the underlying data to drive the science of revenue. I love it. Love it. So... Let, let, I, I feel like I got to zoom back for a second because, uh, Alistair, you and I met, well, two months ago now, I think. Yeah. And uh, we we sort of immediately went down like a 45-minute rabbit hole of RevOps and then got interrupted by Howard about something else. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's important because you sort of mentioned that like, people call it RevOps, people call it GTM Ops, people call it BizOps, all the above, right? What's your definition of RevOps just for everybody? Because this is the Gartner definition of RevOps, right? Yeah. What is What is yours? So it's a fairly expansive view, and it would differ from those that exclusively look at it from the sales domain. Um, I always defined it, we always landed on the definition of Gardner as it is looking at the end-to-end revenue production. That means we are looking at everything from the marketing organization, all aspects of SDR, ISR, sales organization, all the way through the customer success organizations. And, and it's important to understand that holistic definition of both the organizations involved. And then the part two is, do they have a communal data layer across all of those pieces? Mm-hmm. And then the third attribute is, are you thinking about the continuous and bi-directional nature of how a buyer buys or said the asynchronous components of all of those three attributes? So it is the trifecta of those things that actually is what is true RevOps. It is not simply a new title for sales operations. So that's really interesting because you got guys like Jordan here that got a title of RevOps with absolutely no clue 
as to what they were supposed to do with that title, right? So what I love about what Alistair's talking about is it actually is a scientific approach to creating and retaining revenue. So in today's economic environment where it's not just about hypergrowth, it's about optimizing performance across the entire team to produce better results and better results not just for your team, but for your customers. Because it's never been more important to retain your customers and provide them an excellent brand experience. So um, love it, validates the model tells me exactly what it is and shows me that, Jordan, you have no clue. Absolutely no clue. I was doing it before it had a name. My, my, my focus used to be three teams buttoning up the hatches on CS, increasing sales, helping marketing. And they used to call that, I believe my title by the time, by the way, when I did that was director of sales development, sales operations and customer success. You were also head of janitorial services and a mechanic at the same time. So I don't know how, how valid all that is. That was when I worked for you, right? Like that, that was, that was, that well, was I've always had a skill, right? Yeah. Of making sure I find people's talent <laughs> and making sure that's where they're focused. So yeah, it makes Never sense. Never seen a cleaner toilet bowl. Never seen a cleaner toilet bowl, I promise. <laughs> so, so, so Alistair, I mean, I love the definition and I think it's important to note two things, right? Like, well, one thing actually I think is very important there, which is adopting a RevOps model doesn't actually mean that you're at that third stage, right? Because it takes a long time. I mean, holy shit, everybody listening to this is in the ops world. And like, just the idea of, hey, let's build a uniform data layer across all of our tech stack and, and pull that in and figure out how to analyze it. You're talking like 12, 18 months of project with somebody who's a data scientist leading it, actually creating that freaking thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about 75% are adopting, I'm not saying 75% of people are going to be at stage three with a data lake making decisions across their entire you know customer base and figuring this stuff out. You're saying they've decided they're going to go that direction. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Jordan. And they they will often start. Uh, you had to think in terms of functional aspects of how you produce revenue, right? So not like the whole enchilada. But you're right. You're gonna, you know it's you'll just never get there. You got it. You got it so uh, small, right? You can't buy. Yeah, that you do. Off. So, so they break it down. You, you, what you do is you break it down into what are tasks across a buying journey that I can systematically impact with data, automation, tool sets that will improve that experience, right? So you got to take that first step of the buyer journey side. Think buyer orientation because that would get you a more impactful revenue result and then kind of work your way back from there. So you tend to see it, ironically, the, the, the earliest adoption places tend to be on the marketing functions that are most closely linked to the ISR SDR pieces and the customer success function and data sets that link back to the account growth components, right? The hardcore selling is actually often the last piece where it comes into play. Right. Totally. I mean, and I think, I think for a lot of companies, it's starting at like actually mapping your buyer's journey because to even, oh, yeah. even your point of like, Hey, we need to know like what we can optimize the buyer's journey. A lot of companies haven't even mapped buyer's journey. I had a um, I had somebody actually tag me in a LinkedIn post this week, which I thought was I, I like had the most resounding 
angst and anger about being tagged in a link po- LinkedIn post that I've ever had, which was somebody tagged me in a post and said, uh, I'm, I'm going to maybe butcher it a little bit, but they said, the talk about RevOps and aligning the buyer's journey is, is all great and fine, but if a fish tells me how to catch it, or if a fisherman who caught the fish tells me how to catch it, who should I listen to? The fisherman, obviously. And I, I was just... What is wrong with you? The fisherman? So you're telling me that if a fish comes out of the water and says to me, use worms, we're all eating worms, and the fisherman next to me says, no, I caught it on a minnow, I'm meant to use minnows? No, I'm going to use worms. Like, what are you talking about? And that's the buyer's journey, right? Like, the buyer is telling you, this is the experience I want. This is what I want to go through in order to be your customer, Listen to your buyer. Don't listen to your competitor telling you that this is what they want, right? 100%. Sales process and and buyer process, right? It it is a complicated thing, but it doesn't have to be. At the most basic level, it is simply everybody's going to have a sales process, right? Stage one, two, three, four, five, maybe six or seven, something like that. And you're just going to take the sales process and then ask another question. What's the buyer process? And they're going to say, well, I'm not completely sure, but it's a journey that looks something like this. Yeah. Okay. Then just ask yourself, where do you currently have deals stall? Where do you have them go a little bit sideways? Where, where is it a little bit off? That is actually where you use the data. And that's where you understand behavior. Right. And if you can have a tool set that extracts behavioral insight, looks at what's going on, well, now I can go fix that. So it isn't that I have to have every buyer journey dialed in, but I do have to understand the behaviors that drive the buying tasks. Yeah. And, you know, and Howard, this is exactly what we talk about all the time. Like it's that, it's that behavior piece that solves the riddle. It isn't just data and connectivity. Right. And it's not anecdotal. It's not like, hey, we think this is the behavior. It's, hey, we have, we have data that says this is the behavior. Yeah. Right. Like, and that and it's not even at that point, it's not even a decision. It's like this is just a thing that we need to do. Right. Because we have data that says this is a thing that we need to do. I think I think that's the big the big miss. So let me ask you this, because we, we've chatted about this a little bit here. Um, we talked about six percent of healthcare companies are using this. Twenty eight percent of the companies sort of in the umbrella. You're, you're still on track for that. Seventy five percent. If a CEO from a company, twenty eight percent. Right. That means seventy two percent of companies aren't doing RevOps, right, in that in that group. Yeah, they haven't committed to it yet. A lot of them will. I know you're confident they will. I believe you. I totally believe you. But one of those CEOs from that 72% comes to you today and says, Alistair, give me three reasons why I should adopt this. What do I say? Yeah, what do you say? Like, And, and I think this is important for the listening audience because not just from a, like, hey, how do I make the case to do this at my company? But also, if you're actually doing RevOps, you kind of need a constant reminder for the people internally, leadership. Here's why we're approaching things this way, right? So what are the three things? What are, like, what do you say? And maybe it's two things, maybe it's five things. I don't care. But like, what do you say? I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go for it first. So I would say this, like, uh, front and foremost, it's very simple. It's revenue growth. It is, it is honestly, and I know that seems like a trite answer, Jordan, but, but, but you have to understand what has happened that has made these models essential, right? When a sales rep today is only getting 17% of an entire buy sequence, that's all the time they're getting at bat. 
That means that 83% of a buyer journey, you are not engaged in talking with them. So number one, you better be pretty darn good at how you're orchestrating and understanding the data of what's going on. Number two, digital is very real and it has come back in a roaring way. If you don't know when, where, and how to contextualize and support somebody with the right things on their buyer journey, you're dead on the water. And people go, well, what does that mean? I said, well, think of it this way. How often do you get sold something? 45 times a day. 45 times a day. Okay, good. Jordan, how many times a day do you buy something? Like, I got a six-pack of beer today because it's Friday. I want like <laughs> Clearly, you drank all six before this podcast, so that explains a lot. Just two. Just just two. Okay. So it's a one to 45 ratio in your, your, what you've seen today. And let's say that's anywhere close to that. The reality is people don't buy every day, but people get sold to nonstop, but in very limited bands. So it's incredibly hard for a buyer to buy, which is that second digital point. They're trying to understand how to bring all this stuff together. My third thing would be is, look, the economy is changing and it is changing quickly. And if you do not understand how you are going to drive cost effectiveness across your revenue organization, you will be disadvantaged to drive an effective strategy when the market rebounds. You'll be too slow and you will not grow as quickly as your counterparts. And if, if just look at 2008 through 2012, the companies that figured out how to shore up their cost of revenue, optimize how they were delivering it, drive seller effectiveness, what did they do? They came roaring back, not just right. in the next few years. The gap was huge. We're talking differences of trillions of dollars of market capitalization across the companies that figured that out versus the ones that didn't. So you just have to think in terms of growth, connectedness, and how you're using data to set yourself up for where you right. need to go. So, so, so far, I've heard, I've heard revenue growth as the key, um, making decisions easier for a buyer. Right. Because yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing you touched on is complexity and decision making for buyers is a real problem right now. Um, yeah. And then the third one is positioning of your business to, to actually be ready the moment the economy you know comes back. The market warms up to you a little bit to be ready to capitalize on that. And you need to be yeah. ready to capitalize on that. I think to, to boil it down to the simplest possible message, if you are not deploying a RevOps model, you will be left behind. It's it's that simple. You will not be able to catch up or continue to surpass your peers because what is happening today is we are looking at every piece of data that we have on our customers, on their behaviors, on what works and what doesn't. We are making sure that sales organizations are prepared to deliver the best sales experience We are ramping reps faster than ever to revenue. We are doing a better job of helping reps perform better, which means that we are able to retain them, which is so critical in this and every market. 
We are optimizing our marketing spend to make sure we are not wasting dollars and we are delivering a better experience for our buyers because we are all buyers and we are all frustrated with how awful the buying experience is, the customer support experience, and many times our success experience. So we are taking all the data, all the experience that we have been collecting, and we are delivering a better experience. Guess what? If you're not doing that, you are being left behind. And that is what will happen. And if you as a CEO ask me that question, you don't have much time. The market is moving. Buyers are moving. Get going. Totally. Love it. All right. We are going to segue into the final segment of every episode, which is called This Week on LinkedIn. So this week on LinkedIn, I have a very interesting question. Um, And these can range from revenue operations to sales management to marketing management to just across the board, right? Because all that sort of falls in the umbrella. Uh, This one comes from a uh, CRO, actually. And they said, I'm working on an SDR manager comp plan, and I wonder how you would do it. What's, what's your recommended split between base and bonus for a sales development manager? And is the bonus based on revenue contracted or qualified appointments, a combination thereof, or something else? And to clarify, just so you guys, because the, the next question is like, okay, what does SDR manager mean? That's a director of sales development managing team of eight SDRs is the person. So let, let me just start with one thing uh, specific to SDRs I absolutely would not recommend. I do not recommend that you make it based around uh, call bookings. That's a flaw that people do all the time is you're driving the wrong behavior. No, nobody actually cares how many calls you you book, right? right. Yeah, like, and the worst there is you then flip a bunch of stuff to AEs and other stuff, which is garbage downstream. So no, I would not. A lot, a lot of that. expensive meetings that aren't going anywhere, right? 100%. Instead, it's going to be about, you know, you got to look at conversation engagement. You got to look at the duration factors. You got to look at things like that that come in to play there. As far as it pertains to comp, um, I always look at compensation and recommend you look at it from a behavioral perspective. So whenever designing comp plans for any form of salespeople, SDRs included, Anything that accounts for less than 20% of one's income has no behavioral impact. Okay. So you now got to say, well, I got this like laundry list of like 15 things I want the person to do. And you splice it all apart that you basically have neutralized the entire comp plan on that. Point number three, in terms of the split base to incentive on that side, generally for an SDR is going to be in the range of about a 70-30 split. Right. That's it's pretty common what you see there, um, you know, because they are fairly junior. They're going to have a base there. It's not huge, but they, you know, you don't have tons and tons of upside on on what they would do. So that's those are kind of the basic things that I would I would look at yeah. on this side. But I can't emphasize enough, Jordan, the behavior piece, get the split right. Remember the 20 percent rule. Yeah. That means you got like one core metric, two or three signal metrics. And that's all you have to play with. 20% rule is super important. Super, yeah. super important. HB, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think it, it very much depends on what the goals are of your SDR team. If it's if it's uh, generating opportunities for your AEs, um, you know, you, you comp them based on opportunities created and wins. You want them focused on wins, right? So it's not just, to your point, booking a bunch of meetings because – 
every meeting you attend that doesn't turn into an opportunity is an opportunity cost, right? Then your AE stop trusting the pipeline being generated or the opportunities being created by your SDR team. So you want those teams tightly aligned. You want them focused on the same metrics. Um, I, I tend to believe that 60-40 is the right split, 60% being the base, 40% being variable. I think that a, a great SDR manager is spending time coaching that team and making them more successful every day. And if they're aligned with the performance of that team, and that includes taking people from the SDR team and managing them up into the AE role. There yep. should be incentive to not just manage them to short-term outcomes, but we want to see those SDRs grow into full-fledged AEs. We'd love to see that success because guess what? When you get an SDR that becomes an AE, the ramp time to revenue is so much faster. So it's not just about success today with that team. It's about creating a great opportunity for the SDRs to grow in the organization. Totally agree. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, my, my response was was two pieces. One, I think actually both are totally in line with what you guys are saying. The first one was on the split, I, I would land somewhere between 50-50 base and variable and 70-30 base and variable. It's negotiable in that range, but like somewhere in that range would be my my preferred. And then from a incentive standpoint, what what drives that incentive? You first need to ask the question: What what do I want my sales development organization to do? What is the actual goal of my sales development organization, and how do I align that to the rest of my goals as a business? Right. Once I've done that, then I can align my manager to those goals. I can align the SDR to those goals, and that way they're well aligned. To Howard, to your point, which is. My manager and SDRs are aligned at the same goals. The manager is coaching the SDRs to do the right things, all of which plays into my business model, which maybe it's, hey, purely conversion. We have so many leads, we don't know what to do. And so our whole SDR team's goal is to convert marketing leads. That's fine. Whatever that is, it just needs to be aligned. I don't really care what you base it on. It just has to be aligned, right, at the end of the day. Yeah. Anyways... That we're, Like I said, we're going to keep these short. So that's it for this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. HB, Alistair, thank you for joining me this week. Everybody, remember to give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. I think it's Spotify. You can't give five stars. So give us two of them on Apple and send us your questions for this week on LinkedIn. Message them to Howard and Alistair. They're both very LinkedIn active, which I can't say about Jonathan. But send everybody your questions and we will try to answer them next week. Thank you, guys. And I will see everybody in a week. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Jordan. Alistair.